0: All right. Well, how's everybody doing this morning? Good. Good. I feel like everybody should have sat on this side. <laughs> I, if I forget about you over there, I'm sorry. It's you know, <laughs> it's not intentional. But well, it's good to be in the Lord's house this morning, and uh, excited to see everybody out this morning. And well, my name's Brandon Byerly, and this is my wife Maggie, and the little guy there is Winston. He, yep. Say hey, Winston. And uh, so it's us three for now, but. Uh, Maggie is expecting a little girl that should be here uh, sometime around the 1st of December and so we're really excited about that. I, I guess I'm, I am really excited about that. I'm just a little nervous because I come from a family of boys. I have two younger brothers. And I don't really know anything about girls. They scare me just a little bit. So I don't know about having a daughter, so, but we'll see. Um, Winston, at least Winston's excited. It, he thinks so. He's going to end up sharing a birthday with her and uh, his toys and everything else. So. He thinks he's excited for now. Uh, but we're excited to be with y'all this morning. Uh, we're, you know, we're happy to, that the Lord has led us through Montana. We've really enjoyed it out here, and, uh, and uh, y'all are really blessed. We, we love the East Coast. We're from North Carolina, if you couldn't tell by our accent. You know, it's a little off. Um, but we really enjoy Montana a lot out here. It's a beautiful country, and uh, so God has really blessed y'all out here. So, uh, but we are headed to the country of South Africa, It's uh, like the pastor said. I guess maybe "unique" is an interesting word, and uh, but I'll I'll touch on that a little bit more in the morning message. Um, But we're we're just really humbled by uh, what the Lord is allowing us to do and what He's called us to do, working with orphans in South Africa. And so, uh, you know, this morning I'll just kind of give you uh, just a little teaser, I guess, before uh, the morning service, but there are almost five million orphans in the country of south africa Um, they uh you know they don't have the kind of lives like children you know like the children in the foster care system here do you know they're neglected they're abandoned they're abused uh just all all manners of things that uh honestly that i couldn't even imagine until i went over there and visited so um there there is such a need there Uh, but maggie and i are just thankful that the lord has called us to this ministry but not only that um, the way uh, that He's using us in this ministry. Um, and it's, it's really not a testimony to us. It's really a testimony to God to, to just to show that uh, He really has no boundaries in the way that He can use us. It's just whatever we're willing to give to Him, he's, He'll use it. And whatever He's taught us Uh, really throughout our lives. Maggie's a pediatric nurse and uh, I I went to Bible College, graduated from Bible College, but always worked a job as well. Did uh, garage doors and learned a lot about metal fabrication and uh, then was working as a building maintenance engineer. And uh, then we met the Bergies, and just saw how the Lord had orchestrated all of that in our lives through our careers and working with my dad. My dad's our senior pastor working through that church and uh, just How he could just use any part of our lives that we're just willing to turn over to him but what we saw in south africa was very very different than what we would see here in the united states and especially in the in the foster care system in the government uh, run system with these kids uh, we saw a lot of things and it, it really breaks your heart to see how these children live how these children are treated um, but when we went over there, there was we we really saw, and uh, you know, the pastor was kind of said this several times yesterday, uh, when, as we were talking. It's there's a root cause for all of that. There's there's a if you really look to the bottom of it, it's it's not because they're living in poverty or because uh, you know no one really cares about them. It's not that. It, it's sin. When you get down to the root matter of it, it's all about sin. And so uh, uh, the Lord. Showed me a passage of scripture, and it's a very familiar one in Daniel chapter number one. If y'all want to turn to Daniel chapter one this morning, this was this was kind of eye opening to me, and uh, and it it really honestly I never I never it was something that I really never picked up on out of the out of the scriptures until we went to South Africa and visited some children's homes and visited some public schools, and they were telling us just. Uh, what all these children were involved in and what went on in their lives while they were in elementary school and high school and just all manners of sin and different things that happened to them and that they were involved in at such young ages. And so that really opened my eyes. And as I read through this, uh, you know, this is such a familiar passage of Scripture because especially... Uh, verse number eight, you know, that's the if you've ever been to a youth conference or youth rally or anything like that, I'm sure you've heard a message about from Daniel one eight, you know, where it says Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself, you know, with a portion of the king's meat, and so you know, we, that's a, a great uh, lesson for youth about, of course, about purposing in your heart that you're not going to sin and uh, you know, making that covenant with God, but as i was reading through this chapter and uh, i started in verse number 1 and as i read down something really jumped out to me i mean it just like popped right out of the scriptures into my mind and so if we begin reading in uh, really in verse number well in verse number 1 it says in the 3rd year of the reign of Jehoiakim king of Judah came Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon unto Jerusalem and besieged it and the Lord gave Jehoiakim king of Judah into his hand with part of the vessels of the house of God which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his god and he brought the vessels into the treasure house of his god so we have king Nebuchadnezzar who is going in to besiege this land to take over this land to conquer Judah and what he does here is not very surprising. If we're thinking about military tactics and we're thinking about uh, uh, you know, the best optimal way that you could take over a country and take over this people, and really this specific people, the people of Judah, um, it would be to go in and to really disrupt their religious system. To go in, and it says that's exactly what he went into, the house of God, and he began to carry things out of the house of God. And he said, this no longer belongs to your God, but it belongs to my God. And he, they would carry these things and put them in the house of their gods as, you know, like a victory trophy. My God is better than your God. The things that used to belong to your God now belong to my God. And so they did all these things. Uh, but there's something very interesting that happens in verse number three. And before we read that, can we you know would y'all agree with me that the devil is really good at what he does unfortunately and we hate to admit that don't we that the devil's really good at what he does and I hate to admit it sometimes that he's he's smarter than I am a lot of times and unfortunately he probably knows more scripture than I do uh, you know I'll, I'll get he's had you know a few thousand more years on me to learn it than I, you know than I have in my lifetime but He's really good at what he does. He is very smart at what he does. He is a great tactician. He is a great manipulator. And as we see King Nebuchadnezzar going into this land, we see him carrying everything out of God's house. We see him rededicating that stuff to the gods of Babylon. So he's, he's saying, I've, you know, he's asserting his authority over them and saying, I'm conquering you now. But it's very interesting to me the second thing that he does. Because we could think of a lot of different things we would do if we if we were going to conquer a land and take over a land. But it's very interesting in verse number 3, the Bible says, And the king spake unto Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and of the king's seed and of the princes, children in whom was no blemish, but well-favored and skillful in all wisdom and cunning and knowledge and understanding science and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace and whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. So he went straight in and he went straight for their heart or what should have been their heart. we know they're going into captivity because of their sin and they're turning away from god but what should have been their heart the house of god should have been the most important and prevalent thing in their life so he goes after that first but then the second thing he does is he goes after their children he goes after the kids in the land and that really stood out to me as we visited south africa and as we saw some of the things going on there, and then uh, we didn't have Winston at that time when we visited, but now that I've become a dad, um, that really, that, that hits a little more uh, close to home than it did a few years ago, to think that the devil has it out for our kids. The world has it out for our kids. And there it, it's not just a saying, it's not just something that, uh, you know, our parents told us and taught us and talked to us about or something that the preacher just gets up and talks about, it's right here in God's Word. And I, I believe this, uh, this chapter is proof of that. Uh, if anywhere else in God's Word, this chapter is proof of that. Seeing that when he went in, the, I mean, the second thing about that, the second thing he did to go after this whole country was take their children away. But it wasn't just that. There was a purpose for it. He was going to try to influence some things about them, and he was going to try to change some things about them. If you look at South Africa and you look at the, if you look at the cultures there, if you look at the things that are acceptable in their cultures, uh, like having lots of kids while you're in high school, like, uh, you know, joining gangs, being involved in drugs and just all manner of crimes and sin in high school. And as young kids, that's that's acceptable. That's okay to do that. You look at these different cultures and you look at these different aspects of these cultures and you can see what happens when sin gets its foothold in the door with the young generation. And then you see what happens when those kids grow up and they grow up in sin, and they grow up doing all of these things, and really, they just pass it right down to their children. You know, if I've learned anything, it's that kids are going to try to do whatever they want to anyway, without a little bit of steering and guiding and prodding and correction. And uh, especially uh, some stubborn kids, I'm not going to, you know, I can't, I can't be too hard on Winston because. I think I was the same way. My, uh, I tell my parents about some of the stuff that Winston does, and they just laugh. They don't. They don't really. Sometimes they don't even give me any advice. They just say, "Oh yeah, oh yeah, Wait, it's just payback." We remember when you did that when you were little. You're just, you're just paying it back. You figure it out. We had to figure it out. You figure it out. You know, my parents they love me so much. I'll tell you what. Uh, but we see what happens when sin is passed down from generation to generation and how children are really they don't have to be taught to sin but they're basically being taught to sin in South Africa and what's what really brings it close to home is if you look at the value that's placed on life in this country and or sorry in, in South Africa and you see how they're taking kids and and, you know we can't imagine throwing a child in a garbage dumpster or abandoning a child out out in the bush somewhere for the wild animals to find we can't imagine that but if you look at the abortion rates in our country we're not too far off of that and now when you look at some of these uh you know you look at some of these states these groups these politicians that are wanting to make after, you know, say, well, if you have a baby, you have a certain amount of time to abort it after it's been born. We're not we're, we're right on the heels of some of these third world countries like South Africa that are doing these things. But it's all about the influence. It's about how they've been influenced, how these children have been influenced. Um, influence is a huge thing in our country right now. Um, I uh, we were in Georgia and we were leaving Georgia, headed back to North Carolina. And we're getting ready to pull on the interstate, and we're just in a little town, and I see, I see something lime green out of the corner of my eye. And so, you know, any car that's lime green is probably gonna be a cool car, right? And so I look over, and sure enough, there's a Lamborghini right beside of me. You know, it's only like a million dollar car, so of course I'm gonna stare at it and, you know, and try to race it in my minivan. No, no. <laughs> But I'm like, Maggie, there's a Lamborghini right beside of us, like right there. I mean, I could touch it. I was like, that is cool. I haven't seen, you know, you don't see many of those. Well, what really caught my eye was there was a sticker on the side of, on this window, on the side window, and it said YouTube on it. I was like, who in their right mind would put a YouTube sticker on a million dollar car? Why on earth would you do that? So I said, Maggie, go on YouTube and just type in like lime green Lamborghini. And she she finds it and she finds the guy that 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 owned it and she finds all of his videos. And I'm like, what is this guy doing that he can have that car? Like what? What kind of, you know. And it's nothing. He's just really making really dumb videos about absolutely nothing. But he has all of these followers and he has enough people that have liked and followed him and and watched his dumb videos that he can afford a car like that. Now, it's it kind of upset. I'm not going to lie. It, it upsets me a little bit because I grew up with Maggie's brother and we used to do really dumb stuff all the time. But we didn't have cell phones and we didn't have cameras. You know, the cameras were the big ones you had to put on your shoulder back then. that took a whole VHS tape if you wanted to record. So we our parents wouldn't buy us those and there wasn't social media. So we just you know, we're living with those mistakes now in our bodies, but we don't have anything to show for it except good stories. We don't have Lamborghinis or, you know, lots of money in our bank account to show for it. But my point is, is that there's a lot of people out there that are trying to influence other people in certain ways. They are doing it online, on social media, on YouTube, on uh, TV commercials, uh, you know, out just standing on the side of the road with a sign. They're trying to get you, they're trying to get you to buy something. They're trying to get you to stop in here and look at this and trying to convince you that this is this thing is better than this thing and they're trying to influence you in a certain direction. And that's what all of this was about. When Nebuchadnezzar came in, he gave this command to uh, Ashpenaz And he said to take these children out of the house, but it wasn't out of Judah, but it wasn't just any specific, I'm sorry, it wasn't just any general children. It was a specific set of children that they wanted. And because they were going to influence them in a certain way, they were going to try to change some things about them so that they would no longer be associated with Judah, so that they would no longer be associated with God. And so what they tried to change. In these kids' lives, in verse number four, they try to change their character. See, they took, in verse four, it says, they took these children in whom was no uh, blemish, but well-favored, skillful in all wisdom, cunning in knowledge, and understanding science, and such as had the ability in them to stand in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. They wanted to teach them the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. They wanted to teach them their culture. They wanted to teach them their ways. They wanted to teach them how to act like them, how to walk like them, how to talk like them, uh, you know, how to dress like them. They, anything about Babylon, they wanted to put on these kids. And everything that had to do with Judah, everything that had to do with God, they wanted to strip that away from them. You know, the world's trying its best to do that with our kids today, with our young people today. I mean, it, it, in anywhere you look, it doesn't matter if it's uh, on TV or on the Internet or on a billboard sign driving down the road. It doesn't matter where you're at. The world is trying to influence the next generation in a certain way. And it's saying you don't need to have that kind of character like your, You don't have to act like your parents. You don't have to have that kind of character like your parents. You don't, you know, all those people that are telling you do this, don't do this. You don't, you can make your own decisions. You can figure that out for yourself. And that's what they wanted to teach these kids. They wanted to change their very character. So why these, why these kids? You know, I thought about that. Why, why was it just these certain ones out of the palace? What was so special about these? I, I believe that honestly, they, they thought if they could take Really the cream of the crop. They could take the kids. You know, everybody's looking up to these kids in the palace. Did y'all, y'all look up to people when you were younger? Or, you know, even if you are, you, I, you know, when I was little, you, I looked up to the teenagers. The people that were older than me. When I was a teenager, you, you look up to the people that are in college. They're like, oh, man, they're in college. They're so smart now. You, you're in college. You're like, you look up to the people who are in the field that you're desiring to go in. And you're like, oh, man, you know, one day I want that job. I want to be able to do that. I want to learn that. And then, you know, of course, when you get out and you start your career, you're like, man, I wish I could be a teenager again. And, you know, it just all blows by. But they knew that if they could influence this select group of people, that these people would influence the rest of the kids in Judah. In Judah. The rest of that generation would follow right along with them. So they wanted to change their character. But not only that, in verse number six, They wanted to change their name. Now among these were of the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And of course, we better know them in verse number 7 when they changed their names unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names for he gave uh, unto Daniel the name of Belteshazzar, unto Hananiah Shadrach, and unto Mishael uh, Meshach, and to Azariah of Abednego. And this is a very interesting study I encourage you to do this if you look up what their names meant, uh, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, it's it's all associated with God. But if you look up the names that they gave them, Belteshazzar, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, it has absolutely nothing to do with God, but it has to do with the gods of Babylon. So they were trying to change their name. They're saying, you don't need that old name anymore. Let us give you a new name. Let us give you a more fitting name, one that will uh, help you fit in a little bit better here in Babylon. It won't make you stand out so much with that Hebrew name. Let us give you one of our Babylonian names uh, so that you you, know, you can just kind of fit right into society here. And it, you know, is that not what is happening today in our churches with our youth? Whether you're, you know, it's at school or whether it's out and about, they're saying you you don't you don't want to have that name Christian, right? You you don't want to be associated with that Baptist church. You you know you you, you don't have to carry that name with you. You don't have to carry that that legacy with you. you don't have, you don't have to. Be like your parents. You know, you know they're called Christians. Everybody knows that they go to that church, and that you don't, you don't have to be like that. You know, that's not really cool. That's not what everybody else is doing. You you don't really fit in when you have that name, that tag, Christian, associated with your name, and they want to and they want to you know almost shame the kids into saying, well, I, you know, I don't want to be you know Christians today. I, I, I'm not going to get started on it. I promise. But today, Christian, you, when you're associated and have that name Christian, especially if you're a, a conservative, Bible-believing Christian, well, you just hate everybody. Well, you're just you're just not politically correct, or you're just uh, you know you just you just believe some kind of old, outdated thoughts, and uh, you know that. that That's what they want you to think. They want you to fill out a place. And they're trying to make the next generation fill out a place just for believing what's right. Well, you don't don't fit in with this new society. You don't fit in with this new group because your thoughts are so far over here. Your thoughts are so far outdated. Your beliefs are so far outdated. And you're just, you know, you're never going to get anywhere in life. You're not going to have a good job. You're not going to have this. You're not going to have that because you just don't really fit in. You know, we don't we don't want to be associated with Christians. You're not going to have really have many friends. You don't want that name associated with you. So they wanted to change their name. And then in verse number eight, uh, I'm not going to read all the way down through, but verse eight through 17, what they tried to change, they tried to change their appearance because they Gave them. Of course, Daniel uh, in verse number eight set purpose in his heart. He would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Uh, therefore, he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. And so if we, as you read down through there, you see how he had gained favor with them and how he said, just try us with pulse and water. You know, take all of this away from us and just try us and see what the result is. And of course, at the end of the, uh, of this test, it came out that Daniel and, Chad- and uh, Hananiah, Michelle and Azariah. It says that they were fairer and fatter and flesh than all of the other children of Judah uh, that were, you know, drinking the king's wine and eating his meat and all of that. And so, just in that, it's kind of it, it's sad that we only see these four guys, these four children of Judah, and. I don't know that there were more. The Bible doesn't tell us there were any more. I don't know how many children they took out of the palace. I have no idea. I'm not even gonna to begin to speculate, but the Bible only gives us four names of people that stood for what was right. And that's just a little side note. It's kind of sad to think about, but they were trying to change this about them. And, and you can say, well, that, how big of a difference would that make? We've been on the road for about a year and a half now. We eat a lot of fast food a lot of fast food eat mcdonald's day in and day out and see if it changes your appearance at all see if it changes how how you feel at all it does trust me i can attest to that Um, i'm looking for one big uh, you know kind of like a little bonus to move into south africa all the food is supposed to be a lot healthier less preservatives and stuff so I'm looking forward to you know maybe losing a little bit of weight, feeling a little bit better uh they do have McDonald's over there, but I'm gonna try to avoid it you know like the plate or like I' like COVID. can I say that now so I yeah you know, I don't want anything to do with that um, but they tried to change their appearance they wanted so they wanted them to have the same character as them they wanted them to talk like them to act like them they wanted to change their name they wanted to say you know uh, Fit in better with us. Don't, don't go by that name of your old life. Have a new life with us. Fit in better with us. And then they wanted to change their appearance. They said, look like us. You know, just dress like us. Look like us. You're going to fit in so good. You're going to be Babylonians now. You're not, you're not going to be Israelites anymore. You're, you know, you're one of us now. And that's what the world is trying to do to the next generation and sadly it's working because the devil is good at what he does he's really good at taking these small steps just a little bit at a time he doesn't he doesn't just take and throw our children into this but just a little bit at a time just you know you don't you don't have to do that just because your parents did it you don't have to do that Just because of the Bible. You know, maybe that's a little gray area in the Bible, don't you think? And he he makes us question what we know. He makes us question what we've been taught. He makes us question God's Word. And that's the oldest trick in the book, right? Literally. Yea, hath God said? Isn't that what he told Eve? And it still works today. You would think after, you know, we have the book and we have the end, you'd think it wouldn't work anymore, but it still does. He knows what works. But he went after these kids. He knew that if he could get these kids, if he could influence these kids, if he could change something about them, then he had the whole country. That's all he needed. He just needed a handful of kids to influence. And he had Judah. He didn't, you know, he didn't, he didn't go out. It doesn't say that he went after the old people or the parents. You know, if he went after kids' parents today, it wouldn't matter because kids don't want to listen to their parents. They don't. They don't want to do what their parents say. But man, if you can, if you can get some kids to do stuff, and you look at the influence that people have—people in their their twenties and mid twenties—that have on younger kids today. I say it because I've seen kids. I've seen kids that just sit around and watch videos about people playing video games and doing just all kinds of nonsense. But man, they follow them religiously and love them, and like anything that they have to say. Oh, this person's so awesome! Look what they did. But they don't look up to their parents like that. They don't look up to people who have a positive influence in their life like that. When you look at South Africa, you can see that this passage comes to life. Because there's no good influence there for these kids. There, there's nothing for them to look to, to say, oh, what I'm doing is wrong. But the devil has his foot in the door. And honestly, in that country, he doesn't have his foot in the door. He's got the door wide open and he's already been through it. But can this be a warning to us here in America? He's getting his foot in the door in America. And if we look at South Africa, we can see the direction that our own country is heading because he is going after the next generation. You know, without, without kids... Without without a good youth being brought up in the church, what, what's going to happen to the church? It, it's just going to die out. I've I've seen too many churches, uh, really, uh, on the East Coast that they they can't get their kids to come to church or their grandkids to come to church, and it, it's honestly it's just a church full of old people, and uh, they even when my grandpa he he retired. From, he would pastor of the same church for 28 years, and he went way out. I mean, he was way out in the country. There was nothing out there, and I say that, you know, relatively, because y'all are in Montana. Y'all go a long ways between. But for us, there was nothing out there. And so uh, he said, "Yeah." He's like, and he's in his 70s. So he, he said, "Yeah, I'm just." He's like. I've got a church full of old people. He said, the old people need ministering too as well. So I'm just going to preach to them. He said, we, had, we do a funeral about every other week. He's like, I'm just going to preach to them until they all die off. And then I, I guess we'll close the door. I don't know. Uh, really, there was nobody. No new people were coming in. But uh, he got my, I've got an uncle. His youngest son is younger than I am. And he got him up there as his co-pastor. And he was able to reach a lot of young people. So now they have a youth in that church. They have young couples in that church and kids in that church. And it's actually growing and it's, it's amazing. It's doing well and the Lord's blessing it. But there's too many churches out there that are just dying off. And it gets down to a few people and they say, I, what do we do? You know, Nobody wants to come pastor a couple of old people. They just have to sell it off. And, and that's it. That church is gone forever. That's what the devil wants to see. That's what he wants to happen. If he can draw the youth out, if he can corrupt the youth in this country like he's doing, you know, Lord help the next generation of Christians that are trying, that are trying to raise a family, that are trying to teach their kids what's right, and just surrounded by the most wicked and evil things uh, that are happening. But in uh, you know, in verse twenty, something amazing happens. And I say that, I say it's amazing, but it's not because, uh, you know, with God, it's just God doing what God does. It's just him being God. These four guys had kept themselves from all these things. They had resisted all these things. And so in verse 20, when these Hebrew children, all these Hebrew children are gathered together uh, before the king, If we back up, sorry, in verse uh, 18, it says, "...now at the end of the days that the king had said he should bring them in, then the prince of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar, and the king communed with them, and among them all was found none like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore stood they before the king." and in all manners of wisdom and understanding that the king inquired of them. He found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers that were in his realm. And Daniel continued even until the first year of King Cyrus. So he brings these guys in. He, he, He is talking with them. He's seeing what they've learned or what they've been taught in this little bit. And he finds that these four guys who had not defiled themselves with the sin of the world, that had resisted these things, who had stayed true to God, it says in verse 20 that He found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers that were in all His realm. Now this is what is so incredible about this passage. It doesn't say that He found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers that were in the palace. It doesn't say they were ten times better than the rest of the Hebrew children or in the land of Babylon. It says that he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers that were in all his realm. Now, if we study history, we see that Nebuchadnezzar, this is one of those guys who was all about like world domination. Right? He wasn't conquering places he or I mean he he was just conquering places for fun because he wanted to expand his empire. He wanted to take over the world. You know the, we've read about those guys in history who just wanted to take over the world and just rule the world. This was one of those guys. For him to say that these four guys that he found them 10 times better than the than the magicians and the astrolog- the astrologers in all his realm. That is quite a compliment. I mean, honestly, if this was about me, I would have settled with 10 times better than the rest of the Hebrew children. That would have been good enough for me, right? But for the Bible to say that they were found 10 times better than the rest of these that were in all of His realm, that is an amazing statement. But it just shows what happens when we stay faithful to God. When we're faithful to God, He's faithful to us. And so they resisted all of these things even though the world had put all this pressure on them. Babylon had put all this pressure on them to change, change this, change this, change this. Be more like us. Come to our side. You know, be accepted by us. Do all of these things and you'll be successful. What does the world tell us? The world tells us dress a certain way, act a certain way, talk a certain way, uh, go to this school you know don't don't act like the last generation don't don't you know put off all of those things be more like us fit in with us and if you do all of those things then you're gonna have a successful job you're gonna have a really cool sports car you're gonna have a big house you're gonna have an awesome life with all kinds of friends you're gonna get invited to parties and everybody's gonna like you and that's what they're telling us. And that's what they're making the next generation believe. Be more like us, and you will be successful. The Bible tells us right here that the world is very ignorant in that fact to think that sin brings success. Because it's just the opposite. Because what we see here is that these four guys who kept from this sin, who kept themselves true to God, we found 10 times better than all these other people who had been influenced by all of these things. It's kind of ironic, isn't it, that the world would say that, that the world would say, be more like us and act like us and, and fellowship with us and partake in these things with us. And you'll have everything when God is saying, just trust me and you'll be 10 times better than all of that. I remember hearing a message a long time ago um, that a, a pastor preached in a youth conference about being a 10 times better Christian. You know what we find from this passage is that's, it's really not all that difficult because all these guys did, they just kept their faith in God. They kept putting their trust in God. And when the world was saying, change this, they said, God, God doesn't want me to change that. When the world said, do this, they said, but God doesn't want me to do that. When the world said, don't do that anymore, they said, but that's what God wants me to do. And they resisted that influence. They resisted that change. And if there is any hope in in our country, it's going to be in the next generation, but it's got to come from us. It's got to come from the generation that's here now We've got to teach the next generation because they've got all these people trying to influence them. There's got to be some kind of counter influence. There's got to be someone teaching them, hey, they're telling you, you do this and you've got it all, but we've got to tell them, hey, you follow God's Word. You follow what God says. You follow the principles in this book. and not It's not about being successful and about having everything that you want, but the Bible tells us right here, that we'll be ten times better than that. And that's not about being proud or prideful or anything, but we should aspire to be better than the world. We should aspire to be better than, than the sinners that are out there. We're God's people. We're God's chosen people. So, you know, we're, we are here to glorify His name and magnify His name, and that's what we should be doing. It's just incredible when we think about Wow, the the devil is kind of smart. He does know what he's doing, and if we open our eyes and look around, we can see the pull that he has. We can see the influence that he has on the next generation in our country, and really in the world. And if I could encourage you, honestly, look look to South Africa and look at countries like South Africa and the, and the Philippines and places in South America, and, and you know, it's it's not just you know looking at some of these uh, you know the Middle East or these Muslim countries that have taken. But look look at what's happening around the world. How sin has influenced these children to such a point where it really seems like there's no hope at all left for them. But there's still hope. There's still hope for our country. There's still hope for our children. There's still hope for the next generation. But we've got to show them that. It's not us just saying, yes, serve God. Serve God. Do what's right. Not just words coming out of our mouth, but us living that life. Showing the next generation. You might have some pretty cool stuff if you live like the world and act like the world, but there's nothing like serving God. There's nothing like living for Him. And if we do that, we can be those 10 times better Christians as well. So I hope that's an encouragement to you this morning. And I hope, I, I hope really that can serve as somewhat of a warning too, because it really opened my eyes. And like I said, especially now that I'm a dad, it really opened my eyes to see, wow, the things that you know, we, we let our kids do and the things we let them take in their eyes and their ears, and it has a lot bigger impact than what we think. And it, it's affecting their future. And if we want to see the church stand, you know, God's church is going to go on. But I, w- I want my kids to be part of it. I don't, I don't want them to be out in the world. I want them to be part of it. Serving the Lord faithfully, knowing that there's no better life than that. So let's pray. And Lord, we thank you for this day and this opportunity that we've had here. We thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for the warnings that it presents to us, but also uh, just for the clear teaching that it has for us. So that we'll know, Lord, that if we serve you, Lord, we can be that 10 times better Christian. Lord, we don't we don't have to act like the world or anything to be successful. That all we need is you. We don't need all of those other things. We just need you. So Lord, I pray that you would just help us, Lord, to take these things to heart and uh, help us to really care for that next generation and make it our responsibility to reach them uh, with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray that you'll just be with the service this morning. Uh, Lord, may your spirit move in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.